Section 12 of Atlantic Narratives Modern Short Stories, Second Series Published 1918 by the Atlantic Monthly Press This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org A Year in a Coal Mine by Joseph Husband ten days after my graduation from harvard i took my place as an unskilled workman in one of the largest of the great soft coal mines that lie in the middle west it was with no thought of writing my experiences that i chose my occupation but with the intention of learning by actual work the operating end of the great industry in the hope that such practical knowledge as i should acquire would fit me to follow the business successfully that this mine was operated in direct opposition to the local organization of union labor and had won considerable notoriety by successfully mining coal in spite of the most active hostility gave an added interest to the work the physical conditions of the mine were the most perfect that modern engineering has devised the workings were entirely electrified the latest inventions in coal mining machinery were everywhere employed and every precaution for the safety of the men was followed beyond the letter of the law part one it was half past six on a july morning when the day shift began streaming out of the wash house some four hundred men white black and of perhaps twenty-eight nationalities dressed in their tattered black and greasy mine clothes the long stream wound out of the wash-house door past the power-house where the two big generators that feed the arteries of the great mine all day long with its motive power were screaming in a high shrill rhythm of sound past the tall skeleton structure of the temple tower from which the light morning breeze blew black clouds of coal dust as it eddied around the skeleton of structural ironwork to a small house at the mine mouth sheathed in corrugated iron where the broken line formed a column and the men one by one passed through a gate by a small window and gave their numbers to a red-faced man who checked down in a great book the men who were entering the mine from the window we passed along to a little enclosure directly above the mouth of the main hoisting shaft sheer above it the black tower of the temple pointed up into the hot blue morning sky and the dull dry heat of the flat illinois country seemed to sink down around it but from the square black mouth of the shaft a strong steady blast of cool air struck the faces of the men who stood at the head of the little column waiting for the next hoist on the one side of the shaft mouth long lines of empty railroad cars stretched out beyond into the flat country each waiting its turn to be filled some time during the day with coal that would come pouring down over the great screens in the tipple and on the other side of the shaft mouth under the seamed roof of the building where the checker wrote down the numbers of the day shift sat the hoisting engineer a scrawny hard-faced man with a mine cap pushed back from his forehead beside him was the great drum on which the long steel cables that lifted and lowered the hoisting cage were rapidly unwinding and in his hand he held a lever by which he controlled the ascent or descent of the cage the first cage had been lowered and as i watched him and the dial before him i saw his hand follow his eye and as the white arrow passed the three hundred foot level 
the hand drew back a notch and the long lithe wire began to uncoil more slowly three hundred and fifty feet and another notch and as the arrow reached near the four hundred foot mark his foot came down hard on the brake and a minute later a bell at his elbow sounded the signal of the safe arrival of the hoist a minute and another signal and then releasing his foot from the brake and pulling another lever toward him the drums reversed began to rewind and as the arrow flew backwards i realized that the cage was nearing the top the cage on which a minute later i was to make my descent as a loader into one of the largest and perhaps most famous of the vast soft coal mines that lie in the middle states as the thin cables streamed upward and over the sheath wheels above the shaft and down to the reeling drums i looked at the men about me and felt a sudden mortification at the clean blue of my overalls and the bright polish on my pick and shovel a roar at the shaft mouth the grind of the drums as the brakes shot in and the cage lifted itself suddenly from the shaft the cage or elevator in which the men were lowered into the mine was a great steel box divided into four superimposed compartments each holding ten men and i stood with nine others crowded on the first or lowest deck as the last man pushed into his place and we stood shoulder to shoulder the hoisting engineer slowly slipped his lever again toward him and as slowly the cage sank then in an instant the white blue of the sky was gone except for a thin crack below the deck above us through which a sheet of white light sliced in and hung heavily in the dusty air of our compartment the high song of the generators in the powerhouse the choking puffs of the switch engine in the yards and the noise of the men and work which i had not noticed before i now suddenly missed in the absence of sound there was a shuffling of feet on the deck above and again we sank and this time all was darkness while we paused for the third deck to fill once more and again for the fourth then as the cage started and the roar of the shoes on the guide rail struck my ears i looked at the men about me they were talking in a whir of foreign words and in the greasy yellow light of their pit lamps which hung like miniature coffee pots in the brims of their caps the strong hard lines of their faces deepened the working day was begun as the cage shot down the wall of the shaft seemed to slip up and from its wet slimy surface an occasional spatter of mud shot in on the faces of the miners strong smells of garlic of sweat and of burning oil filled the compartment and the air which sucked up through the cracks beneath our feet as though under the force of a piston fanned and pulled the yellow flames in the men's caps into smoking streaks then i felt the speed of the hoist diminish a pressure came in my ears and i swallowed hard and a second later a soft yet abrupt pause in our descent brought me down on my heels the black wall of the shaft before me suddenly gave way and we came to a stop on the bottom of the mine it was cool and after the heat of a july morning the damp freshness of the air chilled me with dinner pails banging against our knees we pushed out of the hoist 
and as the men crowded past i stood with my back against a great timber and looked around me behind the hoist had already sunk into the sump or pit at the bottom of the shaft in order that the men on the second compartment might pass out into the mine and a second later they swarmed by me and still i stood half dazed by the roar of unknown sounds my eyes blanketed by the absence of light and my whole mind smothered and crushed i was standing just off the main entry or tunnel of the mine which began on my left hand out of blackness and passed again on my right into a seeming wall of darkness the low black roof closely beamed with great timbers was held by long lines of great whitewashed tree trunks a few electric lights shone dimly through their dust-coated globes and the yellow flames from the men's pit lamps which had flared so bright in the compartment of the hoisting cage seemed now but thin tongues of flame that marked rather than disclosed the men out of the blackness on the left two tracks passed over a great pit and stretched on into the blackness on the right as though into the wall of the coal itself then far off a red signal light winked out and made distance visible and beyond it came the sound of grinding wheels there was a gleam of a headlight on the steel rails the ray grew larger and two yellow sparks above it flamed out into pit lights a train was coming out of the entry and i waited until it should pass with a grind of brakes it suddenly loomed out of the blackness and into the dull haze of light at the shaft bottom with a roar it passed by the locomotive a great iron box was built like a battering ram the headlight set in its armor-plated bow and behind on two low seats as in a racing automobile sat the motorman and the trip rider or helper the motorman with one hand on the great iron brake wheel the other on his controller and the trip rider swinging on his low seat half on the motor and half over the coupling of the rocking car behind clinging to the pole of the trolley their faces were black with the coal dust black as the motor and their clothing and from their pit lamps the flames bent back in the wind and streamed out straight along their cap tops low above the head of the trip rider the wheel on the trolley streaked out sudden bursts of greenish-white sparks along the wire and as the train passed by the roar of the locomotive gave place to the clattering of the couplings of the long string of stocky cars each heaped high with its black load of coal someone seized me by the elbow what's your number he asked four nineteen loader new man i nodded then come along with me he was a tall thin man who walked with his head thrown forward and his chin against his chest as if in constant fear of striking the low beams overhead i followed him stumbling rather clumsily over the broken coal beside the track the train had come to a stop over the pit between the rails and men with iron bars were beating loose the frogs and releasing the hopper bottoms of the cars heavy clouds of fine coal dust poured up from the cars as the coal roared down into the bins and the clanking of metal the crash of fallen coal and the unintelligible shouting of the foreigners filled the entry with a dull tumult of sounds 
dodging the low trolley wire which hung about five feet above the rails we crawled across the coupling between two of the cars to the other side of the entry and walked to the left past the locomotive where the motorman was still sitting in his low seat waiting to pull out his train of empty cars into the sudden darkness of the tunnel beyond then for the first time i learned that minds are echoless and that sound like light is absorbed by the blotter-like walls of the tunnels we walked down the entry between the rails and after a hundred yards turned with the switch in the track sharply to the right and again on sense of direction or angles was lost and like the faces in a foreign race of people where one can see little or no individuality so here each corner seemed the same and in a hundred yards i was utterly lost above was the smooth black roof below the ties and the rails and on either side behind the two long rows of props the face of the coal seam which glittered and sparkled in the light from our pit lamps like a dull diamond we talked a little my companion asked me where i had worked before how much i knew of mines and a few other questions and still we walked on dodging the low wire that comes level with one's ear and stumbling over the layer of broken coal that lay strewn here and there between the rails the silence was like the darkness a total absence of sound rather than stillness as my first impression of the mine had been that of absence of light rather than darkness the smoking lights in our caps seemed to press out through the blackness twenty feet around us where the light disappeared and was gone and always in front of us out of the black darkness the two long lines of props on either side of the track stepped one by one into the yellow haze of light and sank again into darkness behind us as we walked the air was cool and damp but as we turned the last corner the dampness seemed suddenly gone from it it was warmer and closer here the track swerved up from one of the main tunnels into a room and at the end or heading of this room which we reached a few minutes later empty and waiting for its first load stood one of the square cars which i had seen before at the mine bottom and which we passed several times on sidings by the track the car was pushed up to the end of the track and its wheels spragged by two blocks of coal here the tunnel suddenly ended and from the blank back face a rough broken pile of coal streamed down on both sides of the car and reared up before it against the roof just shovel her full then wait till the motor takes her out and sends in an empty and fill that one i'll look in on you once in a while and see how you're getting along then he turned and walked down the track and left me in the dim light of my single pit lamp part two in the first days of coal mining as in many mines to-day where modern methods have not superseded those of old-time miners a man did all the work with his hand-drill he bored into the face of the coal at the head of his room or entry and from his keg of powder he made long cartridges and inserted them into his drill-holes then when the coal was blasted down and he had broken it with a pick he loaded it with his shovel into a car and trimming square the face of the tunnel propping when necessary he pushed on and on until he broke through and joined the next tunnel or completed the required length of that single entry but to-day these conditions are in most instances changed 
the work begins with the machine men who operate the chain machines in order that the blast may dislodge by gravity an even block of coal of the dimensions of the cross section of the tunnel these men cut with their machines a sump cut or in other words carve out an opening level with the floor about six inches high and six feet deep at the end of the tunnel the machines which are propelled by electricity consist of a motor and a large oblong disc about which travels an endless chain containing sharp steel bits or picks the machine is braced the current turned on and the disc advanced against the coal automatically advancing as the bits grind out the coal as soon as the machine has entered to the full six feet the disc is withdrawn and the cut continued until it extends across the entire face in the evening the drillers with their powerful air drills bore a series of five or six six-foot shot holes four along the roof and two on each side of the rib shots then a third crew of men the shot firers fill the deep drill hole with long cartridges of coarse black powder and blast down the coal which falls broken and crumbled into the cut prepared by the machine men in the morning when the ever-moving current of air forced into the mine by the fan at the mouth of the air shaft has cleared away the dust and smoke the loaders enter the mine and all day long load into the ever-ready cars the coal that has been blasted down until the place is cleaned up and their work is done then they move on to another place and so the work goes on in a perfect system of rotation my companion had told me as we walked from the mine bottom that his name was billy wild call me billy he said and as we walked down the track to the main entry he turned and called over his shoulder you're in room twenty seven third west south that's where you are if you want to know the light in my lamp was burning low and i sat down on a pile of coal beside the track lifted it out of the socket in my cap and pried up the wick with a nail which one of the men on top had given me for the purpose then i stripped to the waist and began to load shovelful after shovelful each lifted four feet and turned over into the waiting car for two long hours sometimes stopping to break with my pick great blocks of coal that were too large to lift even with my hands then finally lumps of coal began to show above the edge of the car and i trimmed it lifting some of the larger pieces to my knees then against my chest and then throwing them up on the top of the pile the noise of the shovel scraping against the floor and the clatter of the coal as the great pile slid down and filled each hole that i dug out at its foot filled the tunnel with friendly sounds but when the car was loaded and i slipped on my coat and sat down on a pile of fine coal dust beside the track to wait silence suddenly submerged me i could hear my heart beat and curious noises sang in my ears up in the roof under the stratum of slate above the coal came a trickling sound like running water the sound of gas seeping out through the crevices in the coal i was wet with sweat and my face hands and body were black 
where the great cloud of dust which my shovel had created had smeared my wet skin dull pains in the small of my back caught me when i moved and every muscle in my body ached in a week my hands had blistered the blisters had broken and over the cracked flesh ingrained with coal dust healing calluses had begun to form then far off in the distance came a muffled grinding sound that grew louder and louder a sound that almost terrified a dull yellow light far down in the mouth of the room outlined the square of the tunnel and then around the corner came the headlight of the electric gathering or switching locomotive and above it the bobbing yellow flames of two pit lamps with the grinding roar the motor struck the upgrade and came looming up the tunnel filling it with its bulk there was sound and the silence was gone the coupling of the locomotive locked with the coupling of the waiting car and they rumbled away once more the locomotive came this time with an empty to be filled in the old days mules were used to gather the loaded cars and in fact are still employed in most mines to-day but electricity permits bigger loads and the dozen or two of mules that lived in the mine were used only where it was impossible to run the locomotives at the end of the week i was given a companion or buddy our lockers in the wash house were near together and we usually went down on the same hoist but some mornings i would find jim ahead of me waiting by the scale house jim rarely took the full benefit of the wash house privileges and morning found him with the dirt and grime of the work of the previous day still on his face he was a greek short with a thin black moustache which drooped down into two rat-tail points around each eye a heavy black line of coal dust was penciled as though by an actor's crayon his torn black working clothes greasy with oil dripped from his pit lamp hung on him like rags on a scarecrow from the scale house we walked up the now familiar entries in third west south to the room where we worked and dug out our picks and shovels from under a pile of coal where we had hidden them the night before then in the still close air of the silent room we began each morning to fill the first car down in the scale house where the cars were hauled over the scales set in the track before being dumped into the bins between the rails old man davis took the weights and when the loader's number a small brass tag with his number stamped upon it was given to him he marked down opposite it the pounds of coal to the loader's credit and so each day on the great sheet smooched with his dusty hands stood a record of each man's strength measured in tons of coal when jim and i worked together we took turns hanging our numbers inside the car and each night we remembered to whose credit the last car had been and the next morning if my number had been hung in the last car of the day before jim would pull one of his tags out of his pocket and hang it on the hook just inside the edge of the empty car then he on one side and i on the other we worked shovelful after shovelful until the coal showed above the edge and then came the trimming with the great blocks that had to be lifted and pushed with our chests and arms up on the top of the filled car 
time went slowly then for we could load a car together in less than an hour and sometimes it took an hour and a half before the gathering motor would come grinding up into the room to give us an empty in those long half hours we would sit together on a pile of coal dust beside the track and try to talk to each other jim was a greek and from what i was able to gather he came from somewhere in the southern part of the peninsula i remembered a little homer and i often tried stray words on him but my pronunciation of the greek of ancient athens was not the greek of jim bardas and although he recognized attempts at his own tongue and oftentimes the meaning of the words it was not until we discovered a system of writing that we began to get along mixed in with the coal that had been blasted down by the shot firers the night before we occasionally found strips of white paper from the cartridges we always saved these and laid them beside our dinner pails and when the car was filled and we had sat down again in the quiet beside the track we would take our pit lamps out of the caps and rubbing our fingers in the greasy gum of oil and coal dust that formed under the lamp spout we would write greek words with our fingers on the white strips of paper jim knew some english the word for coal car loader and he learned that my name was joe and called me my friend and buddy then sometimes after the fascination of writing words had worn away we would sit still and listen to the gas or for the approach of the motor and sometimes when the wicks in our lamps had burned low i would take out of my pocket the round ball of lamp wick and like old women with a skein of yarn we would wind back and forth from his fingers to my own sixteen strands of lamp wick and then tying the end in a rude knot and breaking it off stick the skein of wick down the spout of the lamp until only the end remained in sight next lifting the little lid on the top we would fill the body with oil shaking it until the wick was thoroughly soaked so that it would burn part three to the ear accustomed to the constant sound of a living world the stillness of a coal mine where the miles of cross cuts and entries and the unyielding walls swallow up all sounds and echo is a silence that is complete but as one becomes accustomed to the silence through long hours of solitary work sounds become audible that would escape an ear less trained the trickling murmur of the gas the splattering fall of a lump of coal loosened by some mysterious force from a cranny in the wall the sudden knocking and breaking of a stratum far up in the rock above or the scurry of a rat off somewhere in the darkness strike on the ear loud and startlingly the eye too becomes trained to penetrate the darkness but the darkness is so complete that there is a limit the limit of the rays cast by the pit lamp there is a curious thing that i have noticed and as i have never heard it mentioned by any of the other men perhaps it is an idea peculiar to myself but on days when i entered the mine with a strong yellow sunlight and the blue sky as a last memory of the world above i carried with me a condition of fair weather that seemed to penetrate down into the blackness of the entries and make my pit lamp burn a little more brightly 
on days when we entered the mine with a gray sky above or with a cold rain beating in our faces there was a depression of spirits that made the blackness more dense and unyielding and the lights from the lamps seemed less cheerful sometimes the roof was bad in the rooms and i soon learned from the older miners to enter my room each morning testing gingerly with my pit lamp for the presence of gas and reaching far up with my pick tapping on the smooth stone roof to test its strength if the steel ran clean against the stone the roof was good but if it sounded dull and drummy it might be dangerous sometimes when the roof was weak we would call for the section boss and prop up the loosened stone but more often the men ran their risk we worked so many days in safety that it seemed strange that death could come and when it did come it came so suddenly that there was a surprise and the next day we began to forget i had heard much of the dangers that the miner is exposed to but little has been said of the risks to which the men through carelessness subject themselves death comes frequently to the coal miners from a blown out shot when the blast is inserted in the drill hole several dummy cartridges are packed in for tamping if these are properly made and tamped the force of the explosion will tear down the coal properly but if the man has been careless in his work the tamps will blow out like shot from a gun barrel in igniting such gas or coal dust as may be present kill or badly burn the shot firers the proper tamping is wet clay but it is impossible to convince the men of it and nine out of ten will tamp their holes with dummies filled with coal dust itself a dangerous explosive scooped up from the side of the track again powder kegs are sometimes opened in a manner which seems almost the act of an insane man rather than take the trouble to unscrew the cap in the head of the tin powder keg and pour out the powder through its natural opening the miner will drive his pick through the head of the keg and pour the powder from the jagged square hole he has punched and these are but two of the many voluntary dangers which a little care on the part of the men themselves would obviate a mine always seems more or less populated when the day shift is down for during the hours of the working day in every far corner at the head of every entry and room there are men drilling loading and ever pushing forward its boundaries at five o'clock the long line of blackened miners which is formed at the foot of the hoisting shaft begins to leave the mine and by six o'clock with the exception of a few inspectors and fire bosses the mine is deserted the night shift began at eight and it was as though night had suddenly been hastened forward to step from the soft evening twilight on the hoist and in a brief second leave behind the world in the day and plunge back into the darkness of the mine we were walking up the track from the mine bottom toward six west south billy wild pat davis two track repairers and i as we turned the corner by the run-around there came suddenly from far off in the thick stillness a faint tremor and a strong current of air the shooters were at work for a quarter of a mile we walked on stopping every once in a while to listen to the far-off boom of the blast that came through the long tunnels faint and distant as though muffled by many folds of heavy cloth we pushed open the big trapper's door just beyond where first 
and second right turn off from the main entry and came into the faint yellow glow of a single electric lamp that hung from the low-beamed roof beside the track in a black niche cut in the wall of coal two men were working a safe twenty feet from them their lighted pit lamps flared where they were hung by the hooks from one of the props round black cans of powder tumbled together in the back of the alcove a pile of empty paper tubes and great spools of thick white fuse lay beside them we sat down on the edge of the track at a safe distance from the open powder and watched them as they blew open the long white tubes and with a battered funnel poured in the coarse grains of powder until the smooth round cartridge was filled a yard or two of white fuse hanging from its end in fifteen minutes they had finished and one of the men gathered in his arms the pile of completed cartridges and joined us in the main entry a few minutes later as we neared the heading a sudden singing boom came down strongly against the air current and bent back the flames in our pit lamps far off in the blackness ahead a point of light marked the direction of the tunnel another appeared suddenly from the thick silence came the shrill whine of the air drills a couple of lamps like yellow tongues of flame shone dimly in the head of the tunnel and the air grew thick with the flurry of fine coal dust then below the bobbing lights appeared the bodies of two men stripped to the waist the black coating of dust that covered them moist with gleaming streaks of sweat how many holes have you drilled yelled wild his voice drowned by the scream of the long air drill as the writhing bit tore into the coal there was a final convulsive grind as the last inch of the six-foot drill sank home then the sudden familiar absence of sound save for the hiss of escaping air all done here slowly the two men pulled the long screw blade from the black breast of the coal the air hose writhing like a wounded snake about their ankles the driller who had spoken wiped his sweaty face with his hands his eyes blinking with the dust he picked up his greasy coat from beside the track and wrapped it around his wet shoulders look out for the gas he shouted there is a bit here up high he raised his lamp slowly to the jagged roof a quick blue flame suddenly expanded from the lamp and puffed down at him as he took away his hand in the black end of the tunnel six small holes each an inch and a half in diameter and six feet deep invisible in the darkness and against the blackness of the coal marked where the blasts were to be placed on the level floor stretching from one wall of the entry to the other the undercut had been ground out with the chain machines by the machinemen during the afternoon and as soon as the blasts were in and the fuses lighted the sudden wrench of these charges would tear down a solid block of coal six feet deep by the height and depth of the entry to fall crushed and broken into the sump cut ready for the loaders on the following morning selecting and examining each cartridge the shooters charged the drill holes two cartridges of black powder tamped in with a long copper-headed rod then dummies of clay for wads leaving hanging like a great white cord from each charge drill hole a yard of long white fuse we turned and tramped down the tunnel and squatted on the track a safe fifty yards away down at the end of the tunnel we had just deserted 
bobbed the tiny flames of the lights in the shooter's pit caps there was a faint glow of sparks coming they yelled out through the darkness and we heard them running as we saw their lights grow larger for a minute we silently waited then from the far end of the tunnel muffled and booming like the breaking of a great wave in some vast cave came a singing roar now like the screech of metal hurled through the air and the black end of the tunnel flamed suddenly defiant a solid square of crimson flames like the window of a burning house and a roar of flying air drove past us putting out our lights and throwing us back against the rails it's a windy one yelled wild look out for the rib shots like a final curtain in a darkened theatre a slow pall of heavy smoke sank down from the roof and as it touched the floor a second burst of flame tore it suddenly upward and far down the entry the trapper's door banged noisily in the darkness then we crept back slowly breathing hard in an air thick with dust and the smell of the burnt black powder to the end of the tunnel where the whole face had been torn loose a great pile of broken coal against the end of the entry often bits of paper from the cartridges lighted by the blast will start a fire in the piles of coal dust left by the machine men and before the shooters leave a room that has been blasted an examination must be made in order to prevent the possibility of fire all night long we moved from one entry to another blasting down in each six feet more of the tunnel which would be loaded out on the following day and it was four in the morning before the work was finished it was usually between four and five in the morning when we left the mine as we stepped from the hoist and left behind us the confining darkness the smoky air and the sense of oppression and silence of the mine below the soft fresh morning air in the early dawn or sometimes the cool rain seemed never more refreshing one does not notice the silence of a mine so much upon leaving the noise of the outer world and entering the maze of tunnels on the day's work as when stepping off the hoist in the early morning hours when the world is almost still the sudden sense of sound and of living things emphasizes by contrast the silence of the underworld there is a noise of life and the very motion of the air seems to carry sounds a dog barking half a mile away in the sleeping town sounds loud and friendly and there seems to be a sudden clamor that is almost bewildering part four it is natural that a mind should have its superstitions the darkness of the underworld the silence the long hours of solitary work are all conditions ideal to the birth of superstition and when the workmen are drawn from many nationalities it is again but natural that the same should be true of their superstitions one night when carlson the general manager was sitting in his office there was a knock at the door and two loaders from the hearts mountains came into the room talking excitedly with little dick the interpreter their story was disconnected but carlson gathered the main facts they had been working in the northwest corner of the mine in an older part of the workings and on their way out that afternoon as they were passing an abandoned room they had noticed several lights far up at its heading knowing that the room was no longer being worked and curious as to who should be there they had walked up quietly toward the lights 
here their story becomes more confused there were two men they insisted and they were certain that they were dwarfs they had noticed them carefully and described them as little men with great picks who were digging or burying something in the clay floor at the foot of one of the props a sudden terror had seized them and they had not delayed to make further investigation but on their way out they had talked together and had decided that these two strange creatures had been burying some treasure a pot of gold one of them argued carlson was interested the questions and answers grew more definite and more startling the two men whom they had seen were certainly humpbacked they were wielding enormous picks and one of the loaders believed that he had seen them put something into the hole then came their request that they might be allowed to go back that night into the mine and with their own tools go to this abandoned room and dig for the buried treasure it was against precedent to allow any but the night shift into the mine but superstitions are demoralizing and the best remedy seemed to be to allow them to prove themselves mistaken an hour later they were lowered on the hoist and all that night alone in the silence of the mine they dug steadily in the heading of the abandoned room but no treasure was discovered all the next night they dug and it was not until seven nights labor had turned over a foot and a half of the hard clay of the entire heading that they abandoned their search it is the custom of the men when they leave the mine at the close of the shift to hide their tools and the imaginations of the loaders worked upon by eight hours of solitary work had doubtless seen in the forms of the two of their companions who were hiding their shovels the traditional gnomes of their own hearts mountains in another part of the mine another superstition was given birth that led to a more unfortunate result this time it happened among the croatians and unfortunately the story was told throughout the boarding-houses before the bosses learned of it so that one morning a great section of the mine was abandoned by the men up in the headings of one of the entries so the story went lived the ghost of a white mule as the men worked with the coal before them and the black emptiness of the tunnel behind this phantom mule would materialize silently from the wall of the entry and with the most diabolical expression upon its face creep quietly down behind its intended victim who all unconscious of its presence would be occupied in loading his car if the man turned and for even a fraction of a second his eyes rested upon the phantom the shape would suddenly disappear but if he were less fortunate and that unconscious feeling of a presence behind him did not compel him to turn his eyes the phantom mule would sink his material teeth deep into the miner's shoulder and death would follow it was fortunate indeed that the only two men who had been visited by this unpleasant apparition had turned and observed him perhaps it had been the sudden white glare cast from the headlight of a locomotive far down the entry or perhaps it had been entirely the imagination but at all events a man had come from his work early one afternoon inspired with this strange vision and the next day another man also had seen it the story was noised around 
and two days later the men struck firmly to their determination that they would not enter that part of the mine fortunately for the superintendent a crowd of bulgarians had just arrived from east st louis seeking employment the croatians were sent into another part of the mine to work a mile from the haunted entries where there were no unpleasant ghosts of white mules to disturb their labors and so long as the mine remained in operation there is no further record of the unpleasant ramblings of this fantastical animal at least none of the bulgarians ever saw it with the mule came the ghost of a little white dog but for some curious reason although the dog was reported by many to have run out from abandoned rooms and barked at the men as they stumbled up the entry but little attention was paid to it and it seemed to possess no particularly disturbing influence there were many negroes in the mine and they too had their haunts and superstitions but these were of a more ordinary nature in room two third west south a sudden fall of rock from the roof had caught two miners tons of stone had followed and in a second two men had been crushed killed and buried death must have been instantaneous and months of labor would have been required to recover the bodies which were probably crushed out of human resemblance but even years after this happened room two was one that was carefully avoided by all the negroes and if it ever became necessary for one of them to pass it alone he would always go by on the run for back under the tons of white shale that came down straight across the room mouth the ghosts of old man gleason and another whose name was forgotten still remained immortal it was to prevent the establishment of such superstitions that the shift was always called off for the day if a man was killed in the mine and in the morning when the men returned to their work the boss of the section in which the unfortunate miner had met his death took particular care to place several men together at that place in order that no superstition might grow up around it end of story biographical and interpretive notes by charles swain thomas joseph husband has since his graduation from harvard in nineteen o seven been engaged in industrial pursuits he has however found time to contribute frequently to the atlantic monthly at present mr husband is an ensign in the united states navy the first account of his naval experience is published in the may nineteen eighteen atlantic for vividness of sense suggestion color sound smell feeling joseph husband's smooth flowing narration of a year's experience in a soft coal mine is worthy of study the blackness which is absence of light rather than darkness the submerging silence the seeping gas vapors the nervous consciousness of lurking danger all these give indisputable atmosphere what grim tragedy awful in its heavy brutality might not be here grimly enacted instead there is work the grimy sweating work of the underground hard muscles and senses not too alive to material forces an occasional superstition gives life to the blackness a strange white phantom that dazzles the sight and blinds the understanding with unreasoning fear but most vivid of all is the blackness and the work suggested points for study and comment one 
how does the author's preface add to the interest in his narrative are your expectations of his added power borne out two do you find mr husband more able in his descriptions of large scenes masses of buildings groups of people or in the individualizing of the single person or thing three is the setting for the work or the work itself the chief purpose of the narrative which do you find the more interesting four can you explain the author's feelings of mortification as he first enters upon his duties five what are some of the elements that make for the vividness of the scenes six why is the occasional mention of color so effective seven contrast the mental occupations during a period of temporary leisure in a coal mine with a similar rest hour in the upper world eight from reading this narrative can you offer any reasons why the ancient peoples believed mines to be inhabited by a race of gnomes end of a year in the coal mine